On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, Jim Brown is elected a sheriff of a rural county in the American South and experiences, you guessed it, horrific racism in 1970s tick, tick, tick. <laughs> Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to the always wonderful George Kennedy. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the sheriff of Rock Ridge, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? You know, I'm pretty good, Doug. I'm pretty good. Liam, how angry do you get when we watch a movie that is praising the law enforcement in the United States of America? Oh, it doesn't... I mean, it's so normal now that when people uh, worry about it, 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 it's kind of strange to me because it's just one of those myths that I think we should all know isn't real, you know? Like... What's this, that? What are you talking about? What's the myth that isn't real? Uh, the the that that cops are great, you know, like right. that. Put that in the, you know, if I watch a movie about, the, you know, the the early colonial settlers not being, you know, uh, uh, genocidal maniacs, I I know that it's a myth, so it's okay, you know. Like I I do think like sometimes those stories can be pushed to an extreme, I guess, where I'd be bummed out, but. Something like like this. It's just like a fun whatever movie. I I, I think I'm fun. Gonna, <laughs> in in the sense of like in, in the sense of like uh, yeah, that's fair. It's not exactly fun, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, it, no, I do understand. It's not like the movie is just about that. And I think there are larger <laughs> myths at play in this movie where the 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 uh, law enforcement myth is like one of just a few sort of at work in this thing. So I don't think it really matters that much. Liam, do you think that there's a thin blue line between our, you know, more sedate life and total anarchy where the blue beetle is? I mean, yeah, I love the blue beetle. <laughs> Did you see the blue beetle? No, I didn't see it. <laughs> it's such a bummer because I love that character. And as soon as all the reviews came back and people were like, this movie sucks. I'm like, ah, I'm not going to spend the money then. I'll wait till I can see it for free. Well, that'll only be for probably a few weeks. Yeah, from it'll now. be soon, right? It's gotta be soon. <laughs> Joining us, as always, in this lengthy, sometimes baffling journey, is the wonderful Sarah Jane. Sarah, uh, not to you know put you down on record in regards to something that could somehow bite you back. Your thoughts on the police and law enforcement? Um, <clears throat> a cab. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. That was my first note <laughs> that I wrote down for this movie. Is a cab. So, well, I, I hate go. to break it to the both of you, but I believe George Kennedy wouldn't be so strongly anti-law oh, yeah. enforcement. That's fair. <laughs> Which isn't to say that George Kennedy didn't have any progressive points of view, because obviously that is what this movie that we're going to be talking about today, Tick, 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 is all about. The conflict that was existing in 1970 that thankfully we've uh, cleared up entirely by the year 2023. Everything's cozy now. <laughs> Doing real good. A-okay. A um before we get into our topic today, which is Tick, 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 we have another George Kennedy commercial to pour over and to go into into great detail. On our most recent episode, we talked about a music video that featured George Kennedy, but we're back on the commercials. I found a compilation on YouTube that in the midst of it featured a George Kennedy Total Com commercial from the year 1984. And um, 
Well, it's not the most exciting commercial. It's not exciting like that uh, one from Conan O'Brien where he swims up in front of the camera that we all enjoyed so much. Um, in fact, let's play the audio for it because it's only short. Liam, let's have a little listen to what George Kennedy has to say. Your office telephone system is your most important business tool, but the business phone and the telephone company have changed. Where does that leave you? With options you may not know about and responsibility for your own phone system. So why not call TotalCom, the communications company with 30 years service in the Monterey Bay Area? Ask about a custom design system for the best price with dependable local service and installation. But don't believe it just because George Kennedy said it. Call TotalCom and see for yourself. Don't do it just because George Kennedy told you to do it. Call and find out for yourself. And I mean, telephones are important even in the year 2023. But yes, this is from 1984. I did not know about this company, TotalCom, but I have been on their website a lot over the past week trying to find out what the hell they are. They're still with us. What I don't understand is on their LinkedIn, they say that they've been a dynamic telecommunications company for over 35 years. In that commercial, he already said that they've been in there for 30 years. Who's telling the truth? I trust George Kennedy. I got to go with his side of things. Sarah, you are a California person. Person, but you were telling me before we started recording, you've not heard of this total com before. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was born and raised in um, Los Angeles. And so, yeah, I don't remember. I mean, you know, clearly I was alive in 84 and, but I don't remember this commercial <laughs> at all. So I think they, um, it must've been just Bay area centric. Yeah, apparently it says here, based in the Central Valley of California, the TotalCom team combines Silicon Valley expertise with a local down-to-earth mindset. They deliver <laughs> exemplary knowledge and personalized service, giving clients peace of mind and confidence in their technology framework and system. I like these TotalCom guys. What do you think, Sarah? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have a question. Why did George Kennedy like refer to himself in third person? Because everyone knows who George Kennedy is. That's something that we've really established from the grand success of this podcast so far. Is that people, <laughs> people A, love George Kennedy, and B, they want to hear a podcast devoted to his entire career. No, I, you know, I think it's because, don't, you know, it, it is kind of that cliche. Don't just trust my word on it. And because maybe people didn't recognize at first that he was an actor. Don't, 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 just, don't just believe it because me, actor George Kennedy, from the <laughs> upcoming Naked Gun movie, <laughs> uh, just because I like going above and beyond, I did find an article from the Santa Cruz Sentinel published in May 24th, 1984, which says TotalCom spokesman, Oscar winning actor George Kennedy has been retained by TotalCom as its commercial spokesman, announced the company's general manager, Sam Bishop. Uh, it talks about the company a little bit, but the, it basically said in the article that he's going to do in radio commercials and television commercials. And since this was May 24th, 1984, you can think that this commercial that we're talking about right now is one of those commercials. Liam, describe the commercial to us. Well, uh, George Kennedy's sitting at a desk. Yeah. And he's got some phones. <laughs> and he tells you about the phones. And it's just a straight shot of him until they cut to a close-up of, of some phones. Yeah, the phones. And, and that's the whole commercial is him yeah. and phones. It's – look, listeners, <laughs> there's only so much you could do with a commercial like this. But it is crucial George Kennedy content. Um, and it does feature his face. Right, that's one of the things that's always a concern. Sometimes it's just his voice, but in this case, we have his face. We have the phones, the TotalCom important phones, which they probably still sell to this very day. Sarah, is there literally anything else we can say about TotalCom or this commercial? There is none more else to say about. None this. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I Please. have a lot more to say. Can I? Can oh, we go in on this thing here? 
oh. please save us from whatever I had to say, which was nothing, Liam. Okay, <laughs> first question. Is it called Total Com? And by Total Com, y'all, you have to understand it's T-O-T-L-C-O-M. Is that because those are the numbers of a phone number? So it's seven letters, thus, you know, it could be numbers? Or is it because there was another business called Total Com with an A and they were worried about getting sued? I mean, that's an excellent question. Uh, if I type in Total Com, uh, spelled correctly, into um, the Google, uh, the Google uh, search engine, I find Total Com Management Inc., which is in Texas. I also find the totalcoms-inc.com website, which is probably for that company. There's also a Total Com in New Zealand. And then Total uh, Com, the one that we're talking about without the A, that was the third thing that comes up. So fully possible, Liam, that your, uh, your, uh, your, your uh, theory there is correct. I'm also confused by this. That in multiple pieces of copy, they want you to know, and in yeah. the commercial, mm -hmm. they're in Santa Cruz, they're in Salinas, they're in Watsonville, they're in Los Gatos. So what we're saying here is that Monterey can get fucked? Like, what exactly? Like, I don't quite understand <laughs> what's going on. Like, what's the matter with Gilroy that Gilroy can't have some fucking, uh, you know, <laughs> communication services? Like, Doug, I get it. You're in Canada. As far as you're concerned, California is just L.A. and San Francisco and nothing else, you know. But for people who've ever been in this place, it's just three random towns. And there's no real reason that they couldn't be like, you know what? Let's do some service like a little bit north. You know, Let, let's get up to Santa Clara, really push the boundaries here a little bit. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that they're so specifically on these areas. Why not just say Monterey Bay? I mean, he says that in the commercial, but all the other copy is like these four towns and fuck you if you're anywhere else. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I, it seems strange, but sure, man. I, I don't know. If you're doing business in like the Philadelphia area, you just say the Delaware Valley. And if it turns out you don't go to Newark, well, that's, you know, they'll find that out when they call you up. You don't need to put it in the fucking details, you know? But. Maybe they just have, because it says they have offices. So maybe they only have offices in those four cities, but you can still get the uh, service. Um, maybe. More, I mean, maybe you're right. Wide. It just seemed like so specific that I thought, yeah. I'm going to bust out a map because maybe I'm wrong. Because in my head, I thought, I think all these places are so close together that why don't they just say Monterey Bay? And he does at one point say that in the commercial, but then it's like, I don't know. Anyways, point is, if you're in Fremont, <laughs> get, get fucked. You know, that's that's all we need to know. Uh, if you're a listener and an employee of TotalCon, maybe you can uh, shine some light <laughs> yeah, that would be on good. this. Uh, in the show notes, I have posted a photo of their executive branch. Uh, it actually does still include Sam Bishop, who was mentioned in that article from 1984 as founder and chief financial officer. Liam, what is uh, similar about the four people pictured here? They're, they're <laughs> mostly old white men, though I got to say, Danny Thompson, VP of Operations, bringing in some young blood on this thing. He's only probably 40, maybe 45. <laughs> Could be old photo as well i just thought you'd get a kick out of that well you know it is uh it is as they say <laughs> what it is uh sarah any other final thoughts about total Com before we mercifully move on none absolutely not liam did you have anything else to say are you still have you exhausted your material all, all i all i want to say is cutting edge with leaving the a out right nowadays that's normal just leave a letter out that makes it seem like you're the future in 1984 did people know that was the future or were they confused like these motherfuckers don't know how to spell total right i like to think that they've already had the signs made up with the a in there and yeah. they're like oh shit and it's just like well 
get the white out. Let's just fucking. <laughs> it's a lot easier to take something away than to add something in. Uh, so yeah, yeah, you're right. The comp, yeah, you know what? It is forward thinking, and that's the when it comes to IT and uh, telephones. I want my company to be forward thinking. So uh, unless uh, there's been some huge scandal involving Totalcom that I am blissfully unaware with, uh, consider this a pro Totalcom. Um, podcast and if you want to provide sponsorship of some sort total com uh, <laughs> I take back everything I said about how white your company is <laughs> speaking of things that are way too white let's uh, take a break and when we return it's 1970s tick 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 we'll be right back Jim Brown George Kennedy Frederick March tick 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 and the town turns into a time bomb Rated G. Racial tensions threaten to explode when a black man is elected sheriff of a small racially divided town in the Deep South. It's 1970s Tick, 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 directed by Ralph Nelson, a very well-known uh, movie and uh, television director of the 19, well, really, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, but probably best known for directing Lilies of the Field from 1963, Father Goose from 64, and Charlie from 1968, all of which won Academy Awards. So I had some credibility going into this, written by James Lee Baker. Um, th- actually, he, he was involved with the writing of a lot of very notable films, including Smoking the Bandit, the absolutely terrible The Green Berets, <laughs> and Coating on the Beach. But he also helped develop, in the heat of the night, the movie into the television series with Carol O'Connor that became so popular much later on. And that is notable because this film has a lot of similarities, a lot of probably very intentional similarities within the heat of the night, as we'll get into, uh, even though none of us have any uh, distinct memories of the movie. But you can certainly tell that the influence was there. The cast includes Jim Brown as the lead, uh, Jim Price, the, the now late Jim Brown, George Kennedy, of course, as John Little, the great Frederick March as the mayor of the city. Lots of other familiar faces pop up here and there as well, including Lynn Carlin, Don Stroud, Janet McLaughlin, and Clifton James, as well as Bernie Casey in a very young Bernie Casey in a uh, notable role here as well. We're probably going to talk about him in just a moment as well. But before we get into all of it, let's get some general thoughts out there, starting with you, Sarah. What did you think of Tick, Tick, Tick? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I <laughs> Giving it one of the Sarah I, Jane specials. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's not five-star film. No, I didn't. Um, the copy that we uh, watched was pretty pristine, uh, actually. So that was a nice uh, added bonus because you know sometimes when I'm watching copies of these movies, um, they're they're not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one looked really great. Um, I hadn't seen it before, and actually, I hadn't even heard of this. I'm sorry, George Kennedy. Um, but I do like the cast. Uh, when I saw who the co-stars were, I was like, man, that's that's strong. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bernie Casey, Dub Taylor. Yeah. Dub Taylor. Do we need to start a Dub Taylor podcast? <laughs> I'm joking. Um, you know, I always have to point out when there's a little House of the Prairie actor in there, Carl Swenson, as uh, was uh, Braddock Sr., um, man, he can play a racist really well, even though, like, <laughs> you know, I gotta say, so does Don Stroud, by the way. Although, you know, I don't know Don Stroud's personal life, but some of these guys seem like they were, you know, they're too good really it, right? enjoying material. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I liked it. Um, I always like watching Jim Brown. He's not the best actor, but uh, he cuts a fine jib, I gotta say. When he mm-hmm. locked up in his sheriff outfit, I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I, I well, I will was surprised to see Frederick March. Yeah, right. And I was like, wait, is that the Frederick March? Am I what? But it was. I was surprised. Yeah, one of his final roles too. I mean, and, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Frederick March as an actor. Um, I, I, his career was too lengthy for me to get into it here. But you know, like a legendary Hollywood figure, and to see him so spry here, even though he's playing a very old character as the mayor. Right. But boy, that's an interesting and very odd character, as we'll get into, I'm sure, in just a moment. Liam, uh, I believe that this was the first time that you've seen this. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's the same for all of us. I, I mentioned at the end of our most recent episode that. I had seen the trailer many times. I've seen it on compilations, which is what drove me to watch this in the first place. What did you think of Tick, Tick, Tick? I think that if I turn off the various criticisms I have of the movie on a social level, Uh which is really not hard to do, as I kind of indicated early on, I think that if you go into this thinking that this is going to be some like revolutionary bit of cinema like you know like a spooky set by the door level kind of movie you're you're making you're making a mistake the movie isn't making a mistake uh if i turn off all those criticisms i have this is a mostly enjoyable fun movie i think it is entirely a fantasy from top to bottom and (laughs) and i don't think anyone making it was aware of how much of a fantasy it was even the people who might have known like this is a little soft it's even more than that it is a it is not even close to the you know to reality but as a movie i found it entertaining uh i found myself engaged by a lot of it even if there were parts that i kind of scoffed at how ridiculous it was the inner logic of the movie kind of made sense. There's a couple of moments where there's one character that I think makes a decision, which we're going to talk about later, that I don't think the movie quite gave us enough info on to decide if that made sense or not. I have a theory as to why it did make sense, but I think we could have spent a little more time. I think the problem is the movie, if anyone's seen the trailer for this movie, you know the building tension is the selling point of the movie. Like, 100%. what's going to happen? Yeah. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Only, I got to say, as much as I do find this movie very entertaining, very engaging, it does not have half the tension that that fucking Mm-mm. trailer promises. Right. It mm-hmm. just doesn't. And I don't think it needs it. Uh, quite honestly, I think that it's misnamed, and I think it was mismarketed. If they just were like, here's a vaguely, you know, it's got some tension in it. There are There are one or two moments of surprise. But for the most part, you know what's going to happen in this fucking movie. You know, like even yeah. at the time, you knew what was going to happen. So I think if they had instead relied on it as more of a character bit and really what it is, which is a bit of apologia for the South as a, as a culture, then that in and of itself, I think, would have marketed to people to a certain extent. I don't think they needed to be like, watch the most tense movie you've seen in 1970. It's like, you know, 1970 is a pretty packed year when it comes to tense <laughs> movies. I think, you're, I think you're playing in the wrong in the wrong field on this one. Uh, that being said, though, like I said, I, I think it's mismarketed. And I think it doesn't have it doesn't succeed at that. But if you put those things out of your mind, I enjoyed it. I thought the performances were strong. I found uh, a lot of it really compelling. I think in the end, for a lot of us, it's a little hard to fully believe in George Kennedy's character, but I think for the purpose of the movie, that's who he needs to be because that's really what the story is about. Uh, and while I agree that Jim Brown is really not one of the better actors in the movie, 
he's he's a big strong man and uh he's real pretty and uh he does what he has to do <laughs> I, I just don't i just don't know that it's that he's the most compelling large uh black man who could have played this role in 1970 still i don't think he's bad either it's just uh he, he's not the most compelling actor i've ever seen i <clears throat> you thought he was bad i thought he was yes i did i thought all he right, was bad in this right, movie all right um and mostly because and this is unfair to jim brown who i think has been good in other movies better than he is here I think the strength of that performance is the essential part of it, and he just didn't carry that strength. I mean, I know that he was a very strong man and a very, you know, um, a, 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 per, a person who carried a lot of strength with everything that he did, but I just feel like this character needed more of a central, you know, heat that 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 uh, that that was visible on his face as he's going. I think part of the the defining element of this character is that he does not like. One of the fun things or one of the interesting unique things that this movie does is say that he was elected sheriff of this location because, uh, you know, there was pressure from social groups. They came down specifically to get him elected because they're trying to move things forward. But as soon as he got elected, they left. Right. And now he has to deal with them by himself. And he does have kind of that quiet dignity about him. But and again, this is unfair. But I think about like a Fred Williamson in this role. Right wandering into town and not like and just like not even like fred williamson like he'd be in 1974 or 75 but just a just having a little bit of an edge he's such a whitewashed black character you know what i mean where he's he's he has to be always on always you know always perfect at all times and it like that just feels like a compromise that this movie is making at all times i do want to want to say as well to your point liam the george kennedy character i actually thought that his the way that his perspective was on it was one of the more realistic aspects of the movie. You know, it's the idea that he feels he's just, you know, he's obviously someone who's lived in a world steeped in racism all the time. And he is just as upset as everyone else that he's losing his job. And he felt like it was unfair that he lost his job. And he might have been right that it was at least somewhat unfair. But it's also that's what he, when he says that uh, what that he was the first victim of black power, what a ridiculous fucking thing to say. But I, the idea that he's just like, I'm just trying to be a decent guy. And at first he's like, I'm going to be so decent. I'm just going to wash my hands of it. But you're right. The big turn, which is his wife fucking badgering him and saying, you're going to go back and be his deputy. You're going to do it. And he says, I'm not going to do it. And of course, it's just like that old sitcom gag where suddenly he's, he's you know, it cuts to him basically walking into the police station. Yeah, that's kind of an iffy thing. But I do think overall that that character, I think, is is one of the more interesting and unique ones in the film as a whole. But yeah, I just, I mean, Jim Brown, I think he's fine. I just think that he's weak. And and this is a character that does not need to be weak. I want to talk about what you were saying before, Liam, about if ignoring the social elements of it a little bit. And specifically, whether this movie takes too much of a centrist approach in its politics. I think it definitely is not trying to be, like you said, it's not trying to be revolutionary in any way. But even the films of the time that dealt with race, tended to come on the side of Jesus, what are we, you know, black people are being horrifically treated and this is meant to be some sort of, you know, minor reckoning at the very least. This movie seems to push somewhat in the middle. I want to start with you, Sarah. What did you think of the politics of this movie? Were they too centrist or was it just a reflection of the time? Um, I think that it's just, it did seem like they were not really taking a stance and were like on the fence where they, you know, it seemed like they were just trying to make sure that they were making a movie that 
uh, you know, white people would come and see. I mean, there's I, something I don't know. to that. And so they don't want to, um, you know, abandon or not abandon them, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, scare them away. Yes. By um, because I guess they have the thing like, well, white people don't want to come to see a movie where we're just going to shit all over them. But I mean, I would more power to them. You know, white people are terrible. I have it in my notes. White people suck. Um, because back then, I mean, well, it's so interesting, now, right? 1970 was kind of that turning point, right? I mean, well, I mean, you're going from 69, 70, and then Shaft in 71. And then, you know, maybe you could make a movie in 72 or 73 where you don't have to, you know, cater to the white audience quite so much. Right. And um, I did want to ask Liam, just going back briefly, would, uh, in who would you have rather seen in the, uh, or no, not Liam, sorry. Me, yeah. yeah. Instead of a, a Jim Brown, are you saying that you would you would have rather liked Fred Williamson? No, that's to me. It's like, oh, there's only a handful of actors it could be. I think Bernie Casey should have played the role. I was just role. gonna say that. I was B- just gonna say Bernie Casey, a great actor. He he's in this, yeah. and he's so now he's playing you know a real shit disturber in this movie, and basically yeah. the, the 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 politics of the movie is like he's too much of a shit disturber, and then they have to you know then he does something horrible, which we may or may not talk about, but it's. Like, I think he has that kind of animation to him and and uh, force behind him that he could have been so good. You know, this goes to what you were saying as well, Liam, about the idea of the tension at its core. The One of the reasons that you don't feel that tension is you don't feel it boiling up in Jim Brown's character. Even when they fuck with his car and, you know, they kind of screw with his family a little bit, you should be feeling it on his face like he is going to fucking burst. But that's not really what this movie is about. What do you think about the uh, the political aspects of it, Liam? Do you think it's too centrist? I mean, I don't even think it's on the the scale, Doug. I, mm-hmm. I, I uh, for me, I mean, this is why I fundamentally disagree with you on both of the points you made. One, uh, I think that our man uh, Jim Brown is perfect because the role you're describing is not in this fucking movie. You're describing right. a different movie in which Bernie Casey or Fred Williamson or whoever would be great in this movie. I'm surprised Jim Brown's as good as he is, actually, because what is written is what he is doing. There is no moment that he underplays what he's asked to do. The whole point of the movie is that by not being an angry black man, he's going to win. And in reality, his character has no arc. It's all about George Kennedy. That's yeah. the arc of the movie. I mean, that is, that is yeah. absolutely the case. And but I just think about that, that I think scene. that your whole thing where you're like, well, George Kennedy is a believable character. He's not a believable character. So what he, him and the KKK guy are the least believable characters I mean, in the movie. Yes. I mean, the KKK guy, you're right. Is the, but That's what think? I was describing when I said the turn. I wasn't even talking about George Kennedy. No, I know I, you weren't. I know from the beginning of the movie that George Kennedy is going to be this man's deputy. That's the yeah. point of the movie. That's yeah. what the movie's about. You know, anyone who's paying attention knows, oh, he's going to work for this guy. I see it coming. But the way that the KKK guy changes his mind is the part where I'm like, you know, I think they could have made that point if they made it. There's a moment where we see that he is more angry about the death of this little white girl right. than he yeah. is racist against the cop. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, actually. I can see why that is that that part's believable. But the fact that he would follow it through to go to war with another group of white people from a different <laughs> yeah. town, that doesn't work. It could work if they had humanized that moment, but they want him to both be the scary monster of the movie, but then have a change of heart at the end. 
that doesn't work. You can't have him be both those characters. They could have had someone else maybe have a change of heart, but the fact that he's the one who who rounds up the the good old boys to come and defend the bridge that doesn't make a lick of sense in the in the context of the movie. In the context of the movie, George Kennedy's character makes a ton of sense. In the real world, right? This is why the movie saying. doesn't make fucking sense because. Right. For the most part, there weren't actually a ton of people who were as invested in the power structure of white supremacy as George Kennedy is, and then were willing to then change their mind. I mean, first of all, the central thing of the movie that doesn't work is the idea that in every situation, people had to choose between law and order and white supremacy. In most of these places, they didn't have to choose. That's part of the point, is that they they could actually still follow the law and enforce a, a pretty strong version of white supremacy. Now, the idea that in the few cases where they did have to choose, did racists often choose anarchy over law and order? Yeah, of course they did. They're fucking terrorists. Like, that part the movie gets right, totally. But the part where George Kennedy takes his conviction that these people need to respect the law more than white supremacy and is willing to lay his life on the line for it, yeah, that's the role of, like, not the local sheriff. That's the role of other people. I mean, quite honestly, often it was the role of certain pastors who then lost their their churches for the most part, you know what I mean? Or certain lawyers who then got disbarred later, you know? It was really not that common. So that's, but the thing is, that's the story the movie wants to tell. So if, if you are, if anyone hasn't seen this yet, and they are so turned off at the myth of, like, the 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 beating heart of white supremacy turning towards good if mm. that's too much of a turnoff for you you won't get into this movie but if you're willing to accept that that is a lie but it's a very compelling lie in the context of a movie like this then you get that the movie is kind of entertaining i'm actually surprised it doesn't have a bigger reputation but i wonder if the issue is that maybe 1970 was a year where people were ready for something that had a little yeah. more edge to it. Because there is no fucking edge here at all. Mm-hmm. And and even though I think the movie internally, the logic of the movie works, it's a very consistent narrative, maybe 1970 was the year where they should have said, hey, let's give this guy a little bit more of an edge, which I don't know if Jim Brown could have done or not. I think he could have, but that's not what's in the script. It's not like he right. underplays. The the only angry moment this guy has, he drives around town with the fucking siren on. That's his <laughs> yeah. big revenge against everybody. I, I mean, I think, Liam, of that scene where he's going into the pool hall and he knows that the guy is brandishing a gun specifically because he wants to react if he gets tries to arrest him. And George Kennedy gets ahead of time, there ahead of time and knocks the guy out. And he goes into the pool hall and he sees the guy knocked out and he sees George Kennedy. And Jim Brown just has this blank fucking slate on his face. He just got, he has nothing, even just like confusion he doesn't have. And that's the thing. I mean, I know that you're right. It's not meant to be an emotional role as it's written. But even just to show a little bit could have given us, I think, a little more depth to that character. But you nailed it, though. This movie isn't about him. It's not really about him at all. It's about it's about George Kennedy finding the strength to to not necessarily even stand up to racism. It's just stand up to at least have a job in the face of a racist place. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's strange. And the the, the fact that it, the whole plot hinges on the change of heart of a KKK member is such... I mean, that is the wildest thing about this movie. Uh, actually, one of the other things that's really wild about this movie, and I'm going to go over to you again, Sarah, is the soundtrack to the movie. Now, like you said, we watched a pretty high quality version of this movie we had one available to us now uh, i don't know if you are all aware of this but the when this movie first showed on television in 1972 they removed all of these songs from the soundtrack by the glazer brothers and they replaced it with um 
the soundtrack from 1968's A Time to Sing, performed by Hank Williams Jr. The, the soundtrack, what? for those who haven't... Yeah, yeah, I know. So for those who haven't seen this movie, there's like a lot of folk songs all throughout the soundtrack. And like, it, it's almost wall to wall. And they're, they're very distinctive, but they're also a little odd. Sarah, what did you think of the soundtrack of this movie? Um, They weren't any songs that I had heard before. Me and either. I, you know, I have a pretty broad knowledge. Um, well, and I'm married to someone who has you know 250,000 songs uh you know in the in his itunes um but it's not anything that i had come across before but i thought it was all right you know it's not my cup of tea necessarily but i I thought they were all fine and it's weird that they would uh strip them out and then put what did you say hank williams jr um who is that appealing to the racists I mean, not that that's just racist music, but I mean, you know, who's listening to that? Otherwise? <laughs> I mean, a case could be made. I, I mean, I, I did not reckon, I didn't recognize the music ex- except for there's a cover of Gentle on My Mind that, that plays at one point. But it is, I mean, I will say that Hank Williams Jr. would feel more consistent with the kind of material that's on display here. It, the, the music really stands out to me because of how uh off-putting it is compared to the the setting i mean i love folk music i really do i listen to a lot of it but you know for 1970 in particular it just feels kind of at odds with what we're watching how about you liam what did you think of the soundtrack to this movie i'll be honest i watched a copy on amazon because i didn't want to take the time to download the copy you sent us and made it work so Uh i have no idea what played I don't notice the soundtrack enough to know which version I saw. Well, I mean, you would have known if it was country music playing throughout. Well, like the scene where he's chasing that guy uh, who ran away from the um, from he ran away from the car accident, right? Yeah. And the music is playing, and it's all like this kind of uh, you know it, it, almost Bob Dylan-y folk music from coffee house stuff from like nineteen sixty six, sixty five. Yeah, no? I guess no. I guess <laughs> I guess that is what I heard because I did I did notice that. But here's the thing: I guess I didn't find it off-putting, Doug. Because if you're making a movie like this, you don't put fucking country music. I I'm more confused by your suggestion. This should have country music. Oh, I'm not saying that it should have. No. I'm saying that's what they did. I mean, I feel like it's more appropriate for what audiences would have expected. But the fact that it's different than what they expected, I think, is pretty cool. It's just that this pretty. It, they might as well have played like One Tin Soldier over the fucking movie, right? Which is. It, <laughs> Just it just it's a little too hippy dippy for the kind of thing. I mean, like I mean, they're not exactly going hard hitting, but Jesus, they could have done something a little different. I just when it, it for me, it just made me think of like that the people who made this movie were trying to tap into uh, the young people. I just think mm. of it as an attempt to tap into the young people, and thus they're putting this uh, more folky music on it that's all it made me think of that like and it's not the only movie that i can think of where it occurred to me that the musical choice was meant to appeal to a certain kind of like young person activist type right. uh but I, I mean i guess a different soundtrack i all I noticed about it, honestly, Doug, was that whatever the songs were, I didn't like them, and that's all I thought. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose that's fair enough. And, I mean, and, and if this was, I mean, what it made me think of, Doug, is that I wish this was closer to a black exploitation movie, so that I'd actually enjoy the soundtrack as well as find it maybe a little less politically of a bummer. But I also was more struck 
back to the, my original thing was like, it's not just that I actually thought the movie was enjoyable. I didn't think it was going to be. I was so prepped yeah. to think this was going to be a piece of shit <laughs> that like the fact that it's it's not, it's just is, you know, it's it's not real. It's sort of politically not where I want to be. But a lot of it works. And I just, for the music, just thought, okay, whatever. Like, you know, it's not the funky track I want, but it's better than what it could be, you know. How much, I mean, going back to something I said earlier, how much better do you think this movie would have been if it came out two years later? It would be a different movie. I don't think this movie, if this movie comes out two, especially even I would say three years later, it has more of an edge to it. And my wor- my wonder, I wouldn't say worry because it could be awesome, but my wonder is if it becomes a revenge movie, right, right, totally different. Like the yeah, vibe yeah. at the time was not that, that again, even when their movies were more angry, a movie like, uh, uh, previously mentioned the spooky set by the door was rare what was more likely is just to say well let's include something for people to be angry at and moments of revenge but we're also not going to have that much political insight because that wasn't as popular it was just popular to like have catharsis right so i think this would have a ton more catharsis in it it might actually be more politically gross in some ways because some of these things Mm -hmm. in order to sort of justify the catharsis really push the envelope in in some ways that were really gross or appeal to a different audience like this might be a movie where george kennedy isn't just the character who has an arc he's actually the only good guy in the movie because both sides are just wrong and you know full of it luckily george kennedy can come in and mediate between these crazies which would be its own kind of gross movie that i hope george Mm -hmm. kennedy wouldn't have done you know Right, yeah, yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. And actually, you know, I think in my brain, I was fantasizing about a, the kind of movie that this could have been, as opposed to what it is. But also, I mean, let's face it. You know, I, in '72, we're moving towards black exploitation. A lot of those were written and directed by white guys who were just trying to catch on to a, um, you know, what was popular at the time. It, you're right. It could be just as muddled in a different way than the politics of this particular movie. Well, and I, I do think that there is something politically viable about some of those black exploitation movies, simply in the sense that though they don't quite get it, they do reflect an idea that was in the in that part of the '70s that was like, look, uh, a lot of these civil rights things didn't really work out and uh obviously being a revolutionary leads you to get shot by the fbi so right, uh right. maybe being yeah. a, a hustler is the only viable liberation left you know i don't think a lot of the movies quite understood that but they kind of reflect that in a way the same way that this movie even though it is supposed to re- represent a struggle in some sense it's still basically coming from the idea that like if everybody would just get their wits about them we'll all get along which is like not i think fair to the harsh realities of of white supremacy but i i, I do think as much as i want to criticize a lot about this movie i don't think it's coming from a bad place it's just being written by people who don't quite get it yet you know right. and that doesn't mean they couldn't have but if they did get it, would anyone have paid to make this movie with this level of actor? I don't know, you know? I mean, I, I, I think it does suffer from the white writer, white director yeah, type yeah, yeah. deal, right? I mean, that's that's just, the re, again, reality of 1970s movie making that um, thankfully has, has changed at least a little bit since then. Sarah, um, actually, this is something I wanted to get your take on. Sarah, what do you think would have happened in this movie if the first major event that Jim Brown's character had to deal with wasn't such a clear-cut case of 
a white guy doing something horrible and being completely unrepentant about it. I mean, it feels like all of the stuff that ends up happening in the climax of the movie, it only happens specifically because of the kind of person he was uh, trying to arrest. I mean, if it was just a drunk driver or something like that, kind of feels like this shit would have gone down in a much more negative way. Absolutely. If they hadn't written it to where, especially that the KKK guy, um, or as he said, what clan, that guy, uh, if he yeah. hadn't have been on the scene and witnessed it itself, right? Um, and he and um, they would have just arrested this kid for whatever. Uh, it would have been a totally different movie because then it would be they would all the white folks would be down there um, protesting, trying to get him out. It was yeah. just specifically because a little girl was killed and that uh the kkk guy happened to be there i mean a lot of yeah. people were there but th that he i think had sway over everyone in the town um or you know a lot of yeah. people i mean and enough so, that uh, yeah enough that he can force them all or push them all you know they followed his lead is what we saw in the ending so let's talk about that ending so what we find is that this uh the son of a very rich man who lives in a nearby county he gets arrested for this drunk driving incident where he, a girl gets killed. He's put in the jail cell. He is a complete piece of shit, like just the, the most vile human being you can think of. And then he eventually calls his dad, says that he's being held unlawfully. His father comes and, uh, you know, they, they rebuff him. He goes back and basically he gets a posse full of people, everyone who owes him a favor, they say, to come into their county. And, uh, you know, Jim Brown, he deputizes all the people who would accept being deputized, which in this case are just other black men, and uh, all the white guys who are hanging out, he offers it and they say, turn him down. And then they all show up at the border to help turn back these people from out of town. Uh, Sarah, staying with you, what's your takeaway from this ending? Like, what are we supposed to, as an audience, think of what we're seeing here? Well, it was, um... well, first of all, part of this movie felt like it was like Rio Bravo, where they were trying to make sure that the guy stayed in jail. And yeah. so they were protecting, you know, trying, although they were doing it um, at the river and not at the, cause they didn't even want these guys in their town. Right. Um, but so it felt like that, but it, it, it was weird because I don't think, um, as you or somebody said that it just didn't feel like it was earned. Like, uh, when you said the turn of the KKK guy, KK gay guy, I meant KKK guy. <laughs> that would have been quite a turn. Very unexpected one. <laughs> um, well, you never know what happens in those meetings. I, I don't know. Um, he, I thought you were, um, I guess it's Liam. I thought you were talking about what happens with Bernie Casey. Because what he does seemed really out of place as well. Now, that seemed like it was thrown uh, because he gets thrown in jail for doing something really vile. And then I felt like that wasn't really earned either because yes, he was a, sh a shit stirrer, but why all of a sudden is he doing that? I think that only exists as a scene to show a oh, look, whatever they think of Jim Brown, he is equal opportunity, right? He will arrest anyone who commits gotcha. a crime. Right. Yeah. But, but there is something also that they have already have a white guy who did something horrible and is unrepentant. So we need a black guy to do the same thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. I see yeah. what you're saying. But it, it was weird, but yeah, the ending did, uh, I don't know. It it was weird because there was a whole bunch of people there, of course, white people who just wanted to see a show, you know. 
And so they just thought it was just going to be the, the other black deputies. And then, um, you know, George Kennedy, Jim Brown, and we haven't mentioned the other deputy. Uh, was it Clifton James? Clifton, well, Clifton James, no, he plays the, the oh, sorry. KKK guy, I believe. Oh, um, yeah, about, sorry. Uh, um, you're yeah, talking about the, the, the deputy who is just a guy who tries to kill um, the, the, oh, are we talking, oh, we're talking about the deputy, the actual, the, the one that Jim Brown hires. Is that correct? Yes, the one that Don Stroud tries to uh, kill. But yeah, I didn't recognize the actor offhand, to be honest. So I thought he did a good job. Yeah. So um, when the three deputies and the deputized uh, other guys were there, yeah, the white people are just there for a show. And so, but it does seem weird that all of a sudden, like, the KKK guy decided that he was going to come help out. But you're right. Is it because he just didn't want the other people coming into his town? And throwing their weight around, or did he actually care? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. We didn't see well, enough of him to even he he barely spoke like twenty lines in the whole movie. He was just more about presence than anything else. By the way, the actor was Richard Elkins, played Bradley ah. Wilkes, who's the deputy there. It, it's a, it's odd because the what happens afterwards, which is there's a scene at the very end of the movie where we see. Um, we see Jim Brown and George Kennedy and Frederick March all all kind of riding together uh, in a car. And they make the joke about Jim Brown. He's not going to try to be the sheriff again. He's going to try to be mayor of the town, which is like this big joke. Very sitcom-y, yeah. right? I don't yeah. know about the both of you, but I was like, that is the most tense scene of the entire movie for me. I'm like, all I'm thinking about is all the downbeat endings of 1969 and 1970s movies. And I'm thinking, oh my God, someone's going to take a shot at Jim's, Jim Brown's character. But no, it's meant to be this light moment at the end of it. But like those people are all still racist. And like yep. Clifton James is still a KKK member. And then the first time he tries to, you know, arrest someone for something less explicitly evil, then maybe shit goes down just like it did before. It's just kind of yep. strange. What did you think, Liam? I, I can hear you holding your tongue on this ending. What do you think we're supposed to take away from it? Well, I mean, I don't know what we're supposed to take away from it, Doug, because I'm not someone who is invested in defending the integrity of the American system, which I think is a bit of what this movie is doing. Yeah, I, yes. I think I think there are two options that are not fully in the movie that would make this ending make a little bit more sense. Right. Option one is what I've already said. If he's so upset at the senseless murder of this little blonde girl. Right. Which is, you know, it's not murder, murder, but. The way that this guy was driving drunk and didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. It might as well be, right? Like this dude, it wasn't just a mistake. This guy clearly doesn't give a fuck. If we had seen more of Clifton James being so deeply offended at the nonchalance with which this man ended a little girl's life, that would make sense. Or the class aspect. I could see this the original script for this movie pushing the idea that while Clifton James has a lot of power, he's still a poor-ass good old boy, right? right? And the people who are coming are rich motherfuckers. And the one thing that was at times effective, though not always effective, was relying on class issues. It's important for folks to remember is that the original labor movement 
really flourished in the South, which might be one of the reasons that the original labor movement was not as integrated as it should be. <laughs> right, right. But course. it really flourished in the South because there was such intense class divides that it wasn't hard to convince a bunch of working people that they were being mistreated because they were fucking aware of it. So the idea that... Some- Lima, are those those rich men north of Richmond I keep hearing about? <laughs> <laughs> but again, that the great irony of that, that you would have to go north of Richmond to find I know, I know, fucking I know. rich people but yeah no 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 i mean the idea that like maybe clifton james is like not suddenly open to an integrated world but he's so fucking bummed on these rich guys in this other rich place coming and pushing around his town that could work as well i guess we're supposed to believe that he at least what he says is that he just likes george kennedy right he he's sure that whatever happens george kennedy's going to eat a bullet and he doesn't like that so he comes down and he can live with this black sheriff who he can live with the idea of this black sheriff well first of all these guys were not getting along at the beginning of the movie where george kennedy was still the fucking sheriff right yeah like th- yeah. these were not dudes who like liked each other particularly much <laughs> and second of all why wouldn't he still then later take a shot at the sheriff like I, none of it makes sense to me honestly but i i get i get maybe where some of the thought might have been but the movie doesn't give you like if you stretch you might be able to see a world where this ending at least makes more sense than it does, but you got to stretch. The actual material is not in the movie. When there was 20 minutes left in this movie, you could not have convinced me in the world that it was going to have a quote unquote happy ending. True. Like, I agree. It, it, it was just like, there's, I just don't see how that can work out that this could, we've already, it's already been too established that these people are too filled with hate. I mean, they were looking for, forward to Jim Brown's character getting murdered. Like that's their whole deal. It's like this guy's going to die. Let's be an audience for it. It is mm-hmm. just it's just a really it is odd how it all plays out and um I mean, I do think that when you take it all as a combination with the, the folk music and the uh the way that the performances are even including Jim Brown, that maybe it, you're right. It, it's not meant to exist in a reality. It's meant to be sort of like a parable, right? It's supposed to be almost like a uh, story of it's like, this is what could happen if we all, you know, looked at the world with a little bit brighter eyes and shit like that. Well, it, you know what it reminded me of, Doug? What's that? Are you familiar at all? This guy's sort of out of play right now, but he was mm-hmm. popular a while ago with the uh, philosopher Slavo Žižek. You know this guy? Oh, yeah, very yes. much so. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a moment where that I think now we all kind of look at because of other things he said since, and it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. But I think when he first said it, people kind of got it, which is that what he hated about racism is is that it made good old-fashioned xenophobia feel more gross than it should. So his vibe was like, what sucks about racism is that you have this idea that there's one giant group of people who all are superior to some other large group of people. And meanwhile, he wanted the right as a European to hate his neighbor, not for any actual science or cultural reasons, just because anyone who lives that close to you, who eats different food and speaks a different language, you should just not like them on principle. And so he he's like, I want to get back to good old ethnic tensions and get away from racial strife. And I think people thought that was funny because they didn't realize how much he really doesn't understand anything yeah, about racism. Yeah, right, right, but, right. but I think this movie, even though it has moments that really show you how gross white supremacy is, in the end, it's like, 
let's bring the heat down on white supremacy and go back to a system that's more like ethnic tension where like white people and black people don't like each other, but they're not going to kill each other over it as if that's a better way. Especially when, (laughs) especially when in the movie, the white people don't give up any of their power. Nope. If, if, even if you have a, a situation where two groups of people aren't bitterly at each other's throats, but they don't like each other very much. If one of those groups has more power because of the way the system works, then there's going to be oppression, guys. But the movie never fully acknowledges that it's not just that some people are racist. It's that the system itself is designed to hurt a particular group of people. And because of that, that's why we get this silly ending where it's like, well, we're not going to murder each other anymore, but we can still poke each other in the ribs because of course we can. That's fine. And it's like, it's not fucking fine, man. Actually, this isn't, th- nothing about this situation is like normal when you, it's like, well, you can't run for mayor. Oh my gosh. Rah, 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 rah. These, <laughs> this is not, this is not a fun slap you on the back situation. But I think that's what people, a lot of people, Doug, this is what they wanted. Yeah. They wanted to still live in a whitewashed world, but feel less shitty about it. And that's what they were wanted from civil rights. They didn't actually want an equal system. They just wanted not to have to see black kids getting shot with fire hoses on TV. They wanted that to end. But after that, they didn't want anything to change. I mean, knowing that the guy who wrote this also wrote The Green Berets, the only major pro-Vietnam movie, makes a lot of sense (laughs) in retrospect. Uh, There's a scene in this movie where Frederick March, who plays the mayor of the city, uh, the the county, he has a servant, basically, right? A a, a butler or whatever, someone who does uh, everything for him who's black. And there is, we realize at the end of the movie that there's an understanding between the two of them, which is that uh, this guy listens at the doors, he gets all the information that the mayor has, and he feeds it back to the black community in this in this county. And when that agreement, like when there's an acknowledgement, a voiced acknowledgement of what has been going on for years and years and years between their relationship, I think we're supposed to interpret it as if they're both on equal footing now. That the guy, no. he's, he's still gonna be the servant, <laughs> And he's still going to have to do everything the mayor says, but also he gets, you know, but you can still go back and tell everyone all the stuff that that goes on in this office. And I think we're supposed to come back like, okay, I guess that works out for everybody. But one of them is still the mayor and the other one is still a servant. I don't, Sarah Jane, I don't know about you, but for me, that scene was weirdly the best and worst scene in the movie. (laughs) So here's here's where I think it is the best scene and that is there is a true thing in which people in the north right don't realize the extent to which um folks uh who are black in the south have ways of like dealing with power structures and working around them and that there's a certain knowledge that happens like james baldwin used to say like white people hate that black people know who they are more than they know themselves Mm. and there's this way of knowing each other that happens but the reason it's the worst scene is that it doesn't play out where well the butler knows you but you don't actually know shit about this butler because that's the reality (laughs) is that the Mm -hmm. butler does know him very well he doesn't really know anything about this butler other than the fact that he listens at the door everything else about this guy's life is is pretty much unknown to him and one of the central myths doug of this of the 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 pro segregation southern uh, ideal was that this relationship when it's not vindictive is somehow better because like we really know each other <laughs> and yeah. it's it is related to a thing which is that 
in the North where everyone was patting themselves on the back for having integration, quote unquote, there was a lot of bullshit. People didn't really know each other. They were separated by huge economic barriers. Integration was mostly a myth. And there was a lot of like uh, reality where there was a different kind of racism that was still just as deadly in the North than there was in the South. So that insight is not unfair. But the idea that then the white man or the white woman in the South has some special insight into the black community that Northerners don't is a fucking lie. They know you, man. You don't know shit about them. And yeah. they certainly don't like you. The fact that he's listening at the door and giving all your information to his community doesn't mean that you guys are like buddies now. It means he fucking hates you. Like, yeah. the reality yeah. is, the real dude who had that job, and if there was a real equivalent of that mayor, fucking hated that guy and did not defend him to any of his friends. Well, yeah. it also almost made it seem like the mayor had known about it the whole time and was fine with it and that he approved of it. Like he was saying specific things, like he was giving some sort of code or I don't know. He was saying things specifically so that the butler would hear it and tell it to his community. And I don't think that's absolutely true at all. But that's the way it, it was coming across to me. Like, I mean, oh, look at I'm telling you things. That it's I a it's a romanticization know. of a power structure that sucks, basically. Yeah, I, yeah, that's gross. exactly what it is. Yeah, it is. It's gross, and but it is still, it's weird. It's weirdly insightful in some ways, but yeah, it's presented in such a gross fucking way that it was weird. I mean, it was very off putting, but also very memorable. Uh, maybe it's also because I thought the performances in that scene were particularly good. Um, yeah. Speaking of performances, let's move on to George Kennedy, the subject of this very podcast uh unlike some of the movies that i'm sure we're going to cover and that we have covered so far on the show we get a lot of george kennedy in this movie this movie is really about his character who was the original sheriff of the county you know he gets voted out he does not know what to do with himself he's just trying to be a decent man in a place where there doesn't seem to be any decent people at all and eventually yes he does end up uh forming an alliance with the sheriff played by Jim Brown and becoming a deputy over to him. Staying with you, Sarah, what do you think of George Kennedy's performance in this movie? Um, I I thought he did a good job. Um, You know, a lot of times he's just, as we say, he's just George Kennedy. Uh, um, But I I thought he showed a good range in in this one. Um, I don't know how good he was. I mean, a good of a person he is, though. I mean, he could be super racist, it, the character, I mean, but because we don't really see that either. It just seemed like more like he was bored and he liked law and order and, and as opposed to, uh, you know, he needed something to do until he could run for sheriff the next year. You know, I don't think he necessarily agreed maybe with the cause or that, you know, the black people in that town were oppressed or being treated Poorly, I don't know. I, I think he's reflective of what Liam was saying, which is a romanticization, romanticize, yeah. romant, a romantic view of what law and order is, which is that it's colorblind, right? It's like right. for him, the law is more important than anything else in terms of like, but without the recognition and the acknowledgement that the law itself is already racist, right? That that it's right. built into what law and order is. But yeah, it's it is. I thought it was very strange how his wife who up to a point like she she tells him at one point you know let's leave this county let's go somewhere which is a little bit more continental maybe a little bit more um forward thinking and and then later 
she fucking oh, starts throwing out the racial slurs. And I was basically... just like, what? Where did that come from? I mean, Again, I guess she was like that all along, but that's not how they portrayed her. Yeah, it, it was it, it is it was it was startling in the context of the movie, but maybe that also might be a little more insightful than what they was pre- were presenting generally. Liam, what did you think of George Kennedy as John Little? I mean, I think the performance is great. I feel like it's a weird character. And I think that it only makes sense as a character within the context of the logic of the movie. Right, right, But with what he's given, yeah, he's great. He's supposed to be ornery, but also charming. You have to believe that, like, part of his integrity is just stubbornness, right? Like, he'll do the right thing because fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and, and, And in the end, even when he is willing to put his life on the line... Which I don't believe is real at all. <laughs> right. I believe it. I believe it for this character because he's almost doing it because he's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And it's like it's it's very much a feeling of like, if for some reason the world turned and he was the sheriff, he would expect people to want to live in a world where the sheriff doesn't get fucking shot. Now. Of course, for me, I'm like, well, some sheriffs need to get shot, I guess. If if anyone needs to get shot, there are some sheriffs that need to get shot. But for him, it's like the idea of the law is so sacred and so important that that's what matters. And he kind of at some level acknowledges that this dude is not a dickhead. Like regardless of whatever he thinks of the process that got him elected, he's still an okay guy. He, does, he seems to do the right thing, whatever, whatever. And that's important to the audience who – he is not necessarily a standard for the audience, but he's more relatable, I think, to the intended audience than Jim Brown is. I sure. think Jim Brown is just there to be pretty acceptable. This guy seems okay. But, like, George Kennedy is the one that we're supposed to be like, oh, that's my man. And even though we might be a little annoyed with him at times, even the things he does that are, quote-unquote, the wrong thing, like when he steps in in a way that maybe demeans Jim Brown a little bit, I think the audience mostly gets that. You think, yeah, 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 I get why he would do that. He doesn't want the guy to get shot, you know, whatever. Uh, and so I, I, I don't know. I thought it was a very strong performance. It doesn't push his range too far. He's not asked to do anything that you're like, well, that's crazy for George Kennedy. But like, <laughs> it's in the pocket, man. Like, this is the thing you want to see him do. And you do believe that when he fucking shows up because he's such a huge dude. <laughs> and if him and Jim Brown walk into a bar, most people are going, I don't know what they're here for, but I hope it's not me because those are two large guys who look like they're ready to beat the shit out of somebody. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the fact that he does carry himself with that level of gravitas and that that voice, especially, you know, that part at the end where he's trying to get the people in the pool hall to become deputies for Jim Brown, even though he knows that, that it's a very much a losing battle. You know, the way that he commands that, I think, is really, really good and really strong. But you're right. I mean, this is a character that could only exist in the context of the what, the story that this movie is trying to portray, not necessarily in reality whatsoever. But I think he does a very strong job in it. You know, I always think, when I think about the trailer for this movie, I always think about that scene where they show a little bit of it, where Jim Brown is driving around with the sirens on to basically <laughs> announce to the town that he's that he is the new sheriff. And, you know, they call George Kennedy up when he's lying, laying in bed, you know, obviously sweating. This is a very sweaty movie, by the way. Yes. And, 
And he says to the mayor, it's like, I don't know, mayor, I'm not your sheriff anymore. And it's like, that is very, like, his put uponness is one of the things yes. I most like about George Kennedy. It's very, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like him getting the call in airport, right, where he's making out with his wife. It's like, ah, oh, I'll come in, I guess, and do something about it. He's just the guy who, in this case, in this movie, he can get things done that other people can't get done. And I think that he plays that kind of role very well uh sarah any final thoughts on tick 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 is this a movie you would recommend uh i would actually yes well who would you recommend it to <laughs> general audiences <laughs> um um you know i don't know if i would tell my 13 year old to watch this. <laughs> you know i don't think he's ready for it yet he's got to see a whole bunch of other things first before i would uh trot this out but i think um like in terms of just being, you know, as Liam was saying, you've you've got to leave a lot of things at the door when you're going to go into watching this. But I think it is a well-made movie. It's well-directed. I like the music. The performances are great all the way through. And again, Jim Brown, I, I don't think he's a great actor just anyway, but I think he is serviceable in pretty much everything he does. And I think he does a, a good job here because he couldn't be really showy as Liam was saying when I, as you, sorry, after you describe what you said, Liam, you're right. He had to only be, he couldn't show any of the anger. He had to be just really, uh, you know, just stoic and just do his job and not be showy or angry because then that would have just uh, pretty much enraged the white people and it would have been a different movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it does make sense. I mean, he is a striking presence at the very least, even if I don't right. necessarily think that the performance is particularly strong. How about you, Liam? Right. Any final thoughts on Tick, Tick, Tick? I would definitely, for anyone who isn't going to just immediately be bummed on certain like political aspects of the movie, if you go in knowing what you're going to get, it's generally charming. And then I think it adds another layer if you can be charmed by it, but then also have enough of your critical mind on to go. The fact that this movie exists at some level is fucking insane, actually. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, yeah. The, the fact that there's a redemption arc for the shitty KKK guy is like <laughs> psychotic, but also kind of funny. And, and something that could be this sincerely done, have this much heart to it, but also unknowingly be kind of ludicrous at the same time, that's kind of a sweet spot for me. So I ended up being like, ah, this movie's great. Even though if I was going to make a list of like politically progressive movies, this shit is not on the list without <laughs> right. a doubt this movie probably there's probably only a three-year period where this movie could have been made right it would have been totally different 100%. a couple years before right. and a couple years after so in some ways it's a kind of a fascinating relic of 1970 it's also a movie that i feel like people very rarely talk about this is not like i said it was only the trailer that made me uh, interested in it and my knowledge that george kennedy had a larger part in it so in some ways i think it's a little bit undiscovered but uh whether you're going to enjoy discovering it well that's up to you and like Liam said very early on, this movie does not have the tension that the title would suggest or that the trailer would suggest. It's not that kind of movie. It's something different, and whether that's a better or worse thing, well, that's uh, that's up to you. I'm coming down on it being entertaining, but so severely flawed that it's hard to recommend necessarily. <laughs> uh, that might be the case for the film that we're going to be covering on the next episode of George Kennedy's My Co-Pilot. This is 2014's, jumping ahead a little bit, The Gambler. Starring Mark Wahlberg, uh, this is um, 
uh, George Kennedy's final film. He passed away uh, a few years after the making of The Gambler in 2014. I felt felt like it was high time for us to move on to it. I remember when this movie was released. I did not see it and I have not seen it. It is based on the 1974 film The Gambler. It's somewhat of a remake of that film. Also, in turn, uh, based on Dostoevsky's novel of the same name. Yeah, Dostoevsky with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Why not? Uh, 2014's The Gambler. Uh, Liam, have you checked out this one before? Never. Have you heard of it before? I think I've seen this poster, but I don't think I've ever watched it. How about you, Sarah? I hadn't heard of it until I looked at these notes and uh, saw that that was what was coming out. Nope. Well, well, we're all in the same boat. I, I was, again, I was super aware of it when it was uh, being marketed. I don't think it was necessarily a financial success, but it is notable because it's George Kennedy's final film. And on the next episode of George Kennedy's Mike Co-Pilot, 2014's the gambler sarah i know that uh things have been tumultuous in your life pretty much for the past <laughs> several years Indeed. Uh, i would hope to, that and maybe i'm wrong in this i would hope that things have started finally to settle down a little bit uh, please tell me that things are okay in your world and where people can find your work in that world um yes they have had settled down uh somewhat you know it's still early on we've only been in this new place for sure. a month but um, yeah, I hopefully we're on the right road. But yeah, um, they can find me. I haven't really been writing the past few months. So, um, you know, you're not going to find any fresh writing from me recently. But uh, I'm over on, uh, I'm still going to call it Twitter. Fuck you, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me there at uh, Flip This. Also, you can find my and my husband's channel, White Saves of Chinatown, on YouTube, where we show uh, or we try to present films that you can't find, not just films, TV shows, just, what am I, what does he call it, paramedia from around the world mm-hmm. that, you know, out of print, lost, or almost lost. Anyway, and so that's uh, White Saves of Chinatown on YouTube. Um, that's, oh, I guess I'm on Blue Sky, if you have a Blue Sky I'm Fook This there and on Letterboxd as Fook This as well. I do. I'm starting to like that blue sky, Liam. I'm, I'm taken to it. It's uh, we recently we recently threw Jack off the platform, which I don't think that's ever been that was ever <laughs> in the cards uh, that that is something that could have happened. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how things progress. I just feel like these days it feels like all social media is being fragmented. And I don't necessarily love that. Liam, how about yourself? What have you been up to? What where can people find your work? Well, of course, Doug. People can head over to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. We're getting pretty close to our big sort of Halloween extravaganza. Uh, I think this year a number of podcasts are going to obviously do some spooky episodes. But we're also looking at some uh, regular features over there throughout the month. So check it out. Uh, And, you know, the whole family of podcasts is over there, not just Cinema Smorgasbord. But, uh, you know, the flagship Cinepunks, Twitch of the Death Nerve, uh, Tomb of Ideas, Carnage Report, Horror Business, a whole bunch of podcasts over there. Uh, people can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com, uh, which is where we have our archive. All the shows that we've been doing since we started Cinema Smorgasbord, a whole bunch of different topics. Some of them interesting, some of them not, whatever. It's fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, and- I'm not going to argue. <laughs> And, of course, uh, you know, Cinepunks is on social media. Uh, 
I don't know how long, much longer we're going to be on Twitter, it, whatever, who cares. We are on Instagram and Facebook. We're not on Blue Sky yet. I am on Blue Sky if people want to find me on there. Uh, but I, I don't have a Cinepunks account on there yet. We'll see. I'm probably going to do it this week, quite honestly. But uh, sure. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I just, For me, every time I've tried to use Twitter for one of my uh, official accounts, just like, well, let's see what's going on. I the timeline's just a mess and I just can't give a fuck. So I I think I'm over it. I get more engagement on Blue Sky than I do on Twitter at this point. Yeah. Okay. So I mean it's 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 a little more focused. I think you know, it's it, it is what it's going to be, I think, going forward, but we'll see how things turn out. It's just that it's getting more and more toxic over on Twitter, as anyone who's on there probably already knows. Really nasty place right now. But yes, you can find Cinema Smorgasbord at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, there is a Twitter account at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, you can find us there as well, and you can find me on Blue Sky at the name Doug Tilly. If you like what you're listening to, which our podcast devoted to such diverse topics as the career of Carol Kane, George Kennedy, of course, as you're listening to right now, Jackie Chan, Dick Miller, Alejandro Jodorowsky, and more, that's over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice, or just as powerfully, you can tell a friend about it. But for now, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with The Gambler from 2014. Good night, everyone. Hello. You know when you're going to come in? Nobody will never, ever, ever uh, really, uh-huh, really know. Uh-huh, uh-huh, the more you know, uh-huh, the more you know that uh-huh. you don't know shit. Niggas will never run out of shit. Uh-huh. There's so much shit, so much scripts to do here. Niggas will never run out of shit. Enjoy the roller coaster ride. <laughs> Multifaceted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Walk the path of Jesus, witness the fell freezes, the mind teases, reality cracked to pieces, nothing eases, being chastised with blood baptized, dies, revives, acknowledge past lives, statements will be made, acknowledge me, acknowledge me. my mind is heaven's gate, so enter me, enter me. My mind's the gate to hell, so try to flee. Try to flee. Both gates look the same, which will it be? Demons scream from thought process. Enter semen, childborn stress. Five to want to sleep, but the mind can't rest. Measure pleasure through financial progress.